All right, so on the the last episode, we more or less outlined a doomsday scenario, and lo and behold, uh, doomsday scenario for Florida State in the in the season opener against Virginia Tech. FSU loses twenty four to three, and just really helpless on on offense. Not a whole lot of positives to, to come away with, and frankly, I. I blame Chris Nee for being negative at the end of the last podcast. <laughs> you were the negative Nancy, but neither of us were negative enough for what we saw last night. Yeah, we we got some some crap from our readers for predicting like eight and four, nine and three records. But you know, anyways, hey, this is why the, the hell were we so optimistic? <laughs> <laughs> this is the Knowles twenty four seven podcast. Brendan Sinone, Chris Nee. Uh, we're both a little tired from uh, covering last night's game uh, late night, and obviously a. Uh, well, a debacle at Doe Campbell Stadium and, and to begin the Willie Tagger era. Not not a great debut. Uh, a lot of issues we're going to get into today. Basically recapping the game. Uh, went went right. Very little. Went, went wrong. A lot. Uh, so we're going to do some big picture. Uh, but let's start, Chris, by getting into the, the meat of the game. And that was, well, FSU scoring three points. And I think that was the, the last time they were held out of the end zone at Doe Campbell Stadium was in 2008 against Wake Forest, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so you're talking about something that doesn't happen very often, that, that that level of ineptitude on offense with those level of skill players. Yeah, you have four red zone visits. You come away with three points. It's inexcusable. Um, you get on the doorstep multiple times. You can't knock it in. You have an 85-yard run that sets you up. You can't score. It's just mind-blowing how ineffective they were. They ran, I believe, 65 total plays. Over 50% of their plays went for no yards or negative yards. The offense is based on a lot of quick passing stuff to the outside. And while we'll get into some personnel issues that we thought we saw there, the truth is they blocked it ineffectively, both inside and outside. When you saw good blocking, you saw effective plays. But it was so few and far between that just didn't matter. And I didn't really feel like they did a very good job adjusting to some of the things VT threw at them. And, you know, they were at, what, 320 roughly yards at the end of the game there. So they did have offensive production, but they left so much out there. I yeah. mean, it, there's so many instances, and we don't have enough time to go over every single one, but Keith Gavin dropping the ball in the end zone, you know, not reviewing the play where Nyquan Murray is down at the one. Jumping off sides. Uh, jumping off sides. Penalty to not put him behind the chains. Kalen LeBorn getting one touch on offense, and it was an incredibly impressive play, arguably the best offensive play of the game outside of maybe Akers' run. There's just so much to consume, and you rewatch the game, and it's every bit as bad as what you watched in real time last night. Truthfully, it's worse. It's horrible. There's not a silver lining to what they did on the field last evening, in my opinion. Uh, I'm a little more optimistic. Uh, it was bad. I don't want to sugarcoat it. Uh, and again, we'll get into the big picture. And then I kind of laid out at the last podcast that this was a game that that this team I think needed to win. And the fact that they looked as bad as as they did is is problematic and, and raises a lot of questions and isn't great for morale by any means. Uh, but you know they did outgain Virginia Tech yards per play. Uh, they were close to punching in. Uh, to me, I think the the systemic issue is this is a team that that has had its psyche beaten down in recent years and just when things go wrong uh, that hasn't been shifted yet that winning mentality hasn't been shifted yet but anyways we'll get into the big picture stuff with with Willie Taggart and kind of his thoughts on the game because I think that was really interesting but as for the game itself let's get into some of the personnel uh, some of the the results that we saw that that stood out to us and let's go with this Chris the areas that we thought were weak entering the season all of them uh, were weak on, on Monday night. And yeah. Let's start with the offensive line. That offensive line is problematic. For lack of a better term, garbage. Yeah. Not good. Not good. 
Yeah, I don't like bagging on college athletes. It's not what I enjoy doing. That group of five was horrible, and it didn't matter. They switched things up. Jawan Williams, I think he essentially got benched for Abdul Bello. We saw Arthur Williams get some run at guard. Mike Arnold started in place of Cole Minshew, who was out, did not dress. Landon Dickerson gets banged up. Everly, I think, played every snap at center, if I remember correctly. Derek Kelly came off the field. Derek Kelly came off because he got banged up. Everybody was a culprit. There was not a single member of that offensive line that truthfully played at a high level. And that group, it's so important for the five of them to play in unison, having synergy, playing well as a unit. It wasn't there. They were bad. They were awful. They lacked the ability to get pushed. They very rarely blocked it up very well. And when they did, FSU, you know, faltered in other factors that, you know, didn't allow them to kind of prevail as an instance of, hey, they did their job. They did a good job. Yeah. And they were so few and far between. They were bad. Yeah. And they, they are bad. And there's no – they're not all of a sudden going to get drastically better. That's going to be a major issue for them all year. We thought it was going to be an issue, and it's a far bigger issue than I think I even thought it was going to be. And, and this is after game one. Uh, yeah. and you enter it and you're thinking you're relatively healthy. Well, then Cole Minshew doesn't play. I don't know what the long-term prognosis is with him, uh, but that didn't seem to get any better as as it went on uh, in preseason camp. It went from being problematic to him trying to get back to him all of a sudden not practicing again. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know what Landon Dickerson's status is right now, but it looks like he. I think both legs were bothering him at yeah, some point. There was a point where Francois lands on one ankle. I believe there was another instance in the game where he had an issue with the other ankle. That's it, he that's, hobbled off the field on his own. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's a good sign, but he wasn't moving real well. It's a position group that you couldn't afford to have any kind of catastrophic errors with with either miscues or injuries or lack of you know, growth and early on. But the injury part seems to not be going FSU's way. Uh, Jawan Williams, you know, the pass protection wasn't good. They gave up five sacks. Uh, and I don't think DeAndre Francois was. Uh, he wasn't holding on the ball too long like he did when we saw him as a redshirt freshman. There were some issues, and we'll get into DeAndre, some some throws he'd like to have back, but you know, I don't think he was the problem. It all kind of started with the offensive line on Monday, and that was in pass pro and, and even more so run blocking. Yeah, uh, it, it, they didn't get a push. No, and, and I mean, forget even getting a push. Uh, the penetration that they allowed consistently, you know, and something that we saw frequently on the message board, after the game with people frustrated with the play calling and I think there's things you certainly can point to and say that that don't make sense and personnel decisions we'll get into that but so much of it man like you want to like they want to do the perimeter passes that's part of what this offense is and that leads to you know being able to then go back and reestablish the run again but if you can't establish the run to any kind of modicum of success early on then the the perimeter stuff which is predicated on play actions or freezing the defense doesn't do anything. And then that takes away the vertical game. So none of it gets going if you can't run the football. And that's what Willie Taggart has done well at every stop he's been at. Even if he hasn't done other things at an elite level, they've always been able to run the football where he's gone. And that that didn't happen. Yeah, VT had no respect for FSU's ability to use the inside run. And DeAndre Francois never once kept it wet. I, and and I don't know if at some even, point you got to get them off balance. you got to get them uncomfortable in what they're doing. Mm-hmm. You can't let them play straight up where they're having – you know, a ton of ability to be effective on pressuring you as an offense with three, four, or five-man rushes. They were putting a lot of bodies in the box, but they weren't always bringing those bodies. A lot of it was showing stuff at the line and then dropping guys. There were plenty of instances where they only brought three guys, and they still got plenty of pressure, and that's just downright shameful. Uh, tackles for loss allowed, they allow 14. The only team in the country that, that's played out of 126 teams that, that allowed more per game right now, again, early in the season, that's UTSA. They allowed 15. 
So you're right there in between North Texas and UTSA for – that's not good. And they didn't run a ton of plays either. No, 65. Yeah. So – and packaged in with the offensive line, not looking good at all. Uh, the wide receivers blocking on the outside with the perimeter stuff, that, that for the most part wasn't very good. Yeah. Uh, when Trey McKitty did get some blocks, uh, we went back and we both watched the game at least once at this point. He does something well blocking – it's amazing the difference that it makes, some of the big plays that it turned out. Him blocking well sprung uh, Nyquan Murray on that 31-yard 30, yep. reception that got caught short uh, at the one, and then uh, about a 17-18-yard you know, game for Jock West Patrick. Uh, but by and large, man, they, they look they look kind of soft on offense, and that was that was my takeaway is that, that Virginia Tech was more physical, and they dictated the terms of the game. They, they forced FSU to go where they wanted to with the – you know, any of their play action or, or read option stuff, which there wasn't a ton of. Yeah, the LeBourne 37-yard reception almost gets blown up. Gavin essentially misses a block and then gets back to it lane, gets enough on the guy to keep him off of LeBourne, which allows him to do what he can do with his legs. Um, Nike one more Murray fumble play, completely blown up on the outside. There's an earlier play where Cam Akers catches a quick pass outside and Murray whiffs on a block. It was bad. When we saw them put hat on hat on the outside, they had success. There were things they were able to do. Trey McKitty has a play where he walls it. Jock West Patrick runs off his ass right up the side for about 15 to 18 yards. There were instances where you saw, you know, hey, they can do a little something. Hat on hat, being a little physical. But they were so few and far between. And this offense doesn't only want to run 65 plays in a game. But a third quarter where you have negative seven collective offensive <sighs> yards, you can't do it. You're you're not going to set a rhythm. You're not going to be able to put yourself in a position to be a boomer bust offense. You're just going to bust, 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 and that's what we saw over and over and over again last night. That's a, you mentioned rhythm. I think that was the biggest thing. Is uh, I don't have it right in front of me. Well, I'll do something on it later in the week. But uh, they were in third and long a ton, and it was because they did poorly on first down. And this spread offense, the way that Willie runs it with with the tempo, and this is something that's new for us covering it and new for this fan base to watch it. First down is so freaking important, man. Tempo also looked new to the offensive line last night where he saw DeAndre Francois constantly yelling at him to hurry up All after game. they had success on a play. All game. And that, that's inexcusable. Because they've been practicing. Yeah, I mean, it's been rammed into their head since the spring and constantly for the last four weeks. And then you go out there in the lights and you don't do what you're told to do. And the blame is all around. It's coaching, it's players. It's not. I'm not solely going to be one of these people that says the players going to make plays. Coaches did play that they could do differently last evening. But, man, that that was re-watching the game. That's truthfully the thing I missed the most last evening that I saw re-watching is how many times you see DeAndre mm-hmm. turning around, yelling at Alec to hurry up, get set, so they can snap it, so the O-line can get set. It just didn't happen. And then you have VT throw into the mix the whole laying down on the field, which happened plenty mm-hmm. of times. Whether guys were hurt or not hurt, it killed any chance at having a true tempo to that offensive attack at any point last evening. Yeah, they, they just couldn't get any momentum going at all. And again, that's what you see little splashes there. I know it's tough to look at silver <coughs> lining. There were some, you could see they could hit big plays. I think that exists. Uh, but right now, there's just a cap on this team's mentality. Um, that that seems obvious. It's one game, um, but man, it's pretty damning what, what we saw and what we have for context last season. They need to figure a way to, to, to explode through that glass ceiling. I, I just I don't know what else to say about the offense. Um, Willie said repeatedly in his postgame, we lost one-on-one battles. It's a street fight, and FSU was the softer of the two teams. That's, they, they, for stories that we did leading up to it, when you're asking about the concepts for what Willie does, he calls it backyard football, and that's what he wants. It's just one-on-one, and our guys versus your guys, and he wants to simplify. That's when he talks about his lethal simplicity. 
I do think they got pencil whipped, which is fine. Bud Foster is a great defensive coordinator. You're going to lose some. Um, but the fact that when you put guys in space, they weren't able to make plays or the guys weren't able to block, uh, man, that's just that's not good. Um, no. some, some of the personnel usage we'll talk about on offense, I think that was where coaching can be questioned for sure. Uh, like there, a lumbering back, like Patrick having five receptions for 14 yards yeah, while running some yeah, passes seemed would, kind of dumbfounding when you have yep. the running back stable you have. That that seemed like a weird personnel usage. Is that what we're getting at? And putting him in a, to take a position to take a swing pass with DJ Matthews blocking for him. Uh, so you have yeah, the smallest DJ guy got thrown like a rag doll. You have the smallest guy blocking for the biggest guy of your skill position players, and it just you know, uh, yeah, you know, LeBorn looks amazing. He touches the ball once. Yep. On that uh, kickoff return. Yeah, to Marion Terry, I mean, you've got to find a way to get him the ball. Put it up in the air and he caught it. I know there's going to be miscues, but, I mean. Who? Keith Gavin still fights the ball. We saw Keith Gavin was so Keith Gavin last night. It's incredible. It was it was quintessential Keith Gavin where you that first Great few plays. plays you're like, oh, yeah. Didn't catch the touchdown. That hit him in the hands. Yeah. And the interception, I think, was Had largely. Nyquan Murray play has a great block on the outside. Drives his man six to eight yards off the line. Great freaking blocking. Then he has the other play on the outside with LeBorn where he damn near whiffs on the block that almost kills that play before it turns into a 37-yard mm-hmm. play. It's so Keith Gavin. And the interception. Yeah. That yeah was he did nothing to play one. defender there. Yeah. And that was DeAndre pressing. They had just had the punt block that turned into points for VT. DeAndre comes out and tries to bomb one down the middle. Not a horrible pass, but obviously overthrown coming out of his mm-hmm. hand. And Keith just does nothing to either deflect the ball, play the ball, or keep the defense. Push the guy into it somehow. Yeah, he kind of forearm shivered him, creating a little separation that made it an even cleaner play for the defender. Yeah, he got chewed out on the sideline by uh, by uh, Coach Kelly and, and DeAndre to an extent. Yeah, they were that, all so. discussing the situation. <laughs> so, okay, offense. I, what else? Anything else? I, I, Just I, a catastrophic mess. There's a lot of issues there. Yeah. And, and we'll get – Spinning forward, we'll, we'll get to that in a little bit. Let's talk about the defense. Uh, after that first series, they kind of figured out a little bit. Uh, they figured out to hide Adonis Thomas. I, I wish I had the PFF metrics right now because that, that would be pretty interesting to see. Let me if, see if, if it's up If you have time and you have the stomach to do it, rewatch the game and watch the first drive and just watch 22 on the plays because – VT picks on him repeatedly on that whole drive. That first drive, and I know you watched it. And, and you know he does. Uh, not everything in life is black or white. He did get better to a certain extent, uh, but it would been hard to be much worse. But then he got bad again. And I think they had to put in Emmett Rice in uh, in the final series or one of the final series. And Emmett Rice, not one hundred percent, was at least willing to go and stick his nose in and, and take on a lead block. And it's amazing when he did that would happen because it filtered. Uh, a run to Jaden Woodby, who just obliterated someone. It's like that's what linebacking is. You have one guy go and bam, you know, take on the lead blocker, stick your nose in there, make it to where the running lane isn't two yards wide, and you make someone delay a little bit, and good things can happen. There's literally an instance on the first drive where the fullback shoots a hole, and Adonis Thomas straight in goes in and takes him on. Instead of trying to play off the fullback to play the running back who's coming on his hind. No, he just like runs in and runs catches right him. into the fullback as though it's like, "Hey, catch me, blocker!" And yep. he leaves a hole for the running back to find. And there was another it's play where he ball. runs I, I, without knowing the exact assignments. But man, I played linebacker at a very forgettable level. Uh, but there's things like you just control your gap, and that's what you're supposed to do. He ran. It was on that first series. He like twisted around, and there was no one else doing that. Like I don't know what the running lane responsibility was, but I can't imagine that's how they drew it up. Yep. Uh, but big picture, like. This was a unit that we thought was going to have problems. I will say, I think you have two. I th- Dontavis Jackson is fine. Uh, he's not an elite player at this point. 
but he's going to stick his nose in there and try to filter blocks outside. Jaden Woodby is going to be a stud, man. That kid looks good. He dislocated his shoulder. Uh, they popped it back in. My concern is once you start dislocating stuff there, that it becomes more likely to dislocate. Woodby had juice, and he's willing to put his hat on somebody. Yep. Yeah, you can live with that. Two things that people on this team need to learn quickly. Um, yeah, so DeKalen Brooks not playing, and I know he'd been a little dinged up in camp. I'm, seems like that's what it was. That hurts. Emmett Rice not being 100%. I think there's going to be better options than what you had uh, by the end of the season than what you had on, on Monday. But, man, like that, was, that wasn't great. Oh, look, PFF grades. Defensive line, I thought, played fairly well. DeMarcus Christmas had a man play on a goal line, the fourth of one that they stopped him. Puts guy in a kind of reverse headlock with his le- arm around his legs and just he's not willing to let him go forward. Burns did a good job with pressure off the edge. We saw a great hustle from J-Rob. There's back-to-back plays, one where J-Rob pursues it to the middle of the field after a pass goes behind him, is in there to make a play. There's another one where he pressures the quarterback, I believe, on the next or second to next snap. Um, you know, I thought in general that group did well. Amy... Played okay off the edge. Um, didn't really have a whole lot of flash plays, but I didn't think he was bad. In general, I thought the defensive line was a strong part of the defense. Secondary did well. Some missed tackles, a lot of arm tackles. They need to be a bit more of a physical bunch, especially a guy like Hampsa, whose game is so predicated on being physical. I didn't think Hampsa did a great job of tackling in space. He whiffed a lot. Oh, yeah, the PFF grades, uh, I won't get into it right now, but I well, guess I will. I'm distracted. You've lost me, Chris, for the next five minutes probably. Stat nerd. Adonis Thomas was a 65.2, which is actually yeah, it's below average. That was 10th on there. Um, yeah, there was some bad grades. Like Janaris Robinson got a 56.6, but I thought he looked fine. Uh, Dontavis Jackson, 57.6. Basically, all you need to know is uh, there's like five guys that were above average on defense. I haven't even looked at the offense yet, though. Uh, yeah, problem problems on both sides of the ball. The defense, at least you can kind of see the direction. Like, okay, there's something to go with. I do think the issues that they have are the issues that they have. Like, uh, the linebacker is not going to change overnight. Yeah. I don't think you have – again, Stanford Samuels healthy and back in the mix would be good. He only played 12 snaps last night um, and, and was in sub-package roles. So if you get him at 100%. Uh, that's big. I thought A.J. Westbrook played well at the back end of the defense. Yeah, Hamsa uh, was just kind of going for big kill shots. I'm not sure what that's up with Cyrus Fagan. Um, but you have pieces to work with, I think, on every single level. Um, I don't know if this is a dominant group, but it looks like it could be a top 20 defense this year and maybe even a little bit higher if, if, if the offense starts giving them some some support. they got to grab turnovers. VT laid the ball down four times last night and somehow came away with all four. That's, I mean, turnover, and that's... Some of it's you, pure luck, but... Yeah. Over if your team lays it down four times, yeah. at some point you got to snatch one of them away. Over a period of time, a fumble's a 50-50 proposition. Yeah. Um, and so that doesn't happen. And it was kind of, that was kind of last night, man. It's like I said, there's there's a lid on this team emotionally, it seems like. And, and all the, and let's, I guess, pivot over to the big picture well, you're forgetting special teams. I ain't going to talk. Bob's not here. We're not talking but about But they laid an A. Oh, hey, Kalen LeBorn had an overall grade of 89.6, but he was only in for six snaps. <laughs> he was the only guy that graded out above uh, him and Alec Eberly. You guys said Eberly's not good. He's average. Everyone else was uh, below average. Eberly underwhelmed me last night. Yeah, he wasn't the worst. Uh, it's just when he's Well, no, he wasn't the worst, but that's like being the tallest midget on an offensive line and didn't know what the hell they were doing. I think you can say midget on the podcast. DJ Matthews, 50 grade. Nooney Murray, 50. Kayshawn Hilton, 50. George Campbell, 50. How many snaps did Hilton play, though? Two? One? Two? Fourteen. Really? I literally only remember him in there a couple times. Warren Thompson played six. I don't remember. Maybe some of those Some of that special teams. teams. Yeah. Actually, they're not. But... 
Nah, I'm not talking about special teams right now. Just, yeah, but block punt. You know you're playing the Beamer ball, which I, I hate that moniker, but whatever. I used it in a story, though. I Shameless. did. But you're playing Beamer ball, and you allow a punt to get blocked, and literally the guy comes up the middle relatively untouched. I believe Wally Amy is the one who tried to drive a shoulder through him and missed him, so he goes between him. And on that same play, the outside guy, I believe number 26 for VT, damn near got it himself. So you had two guys that were on top of it, and then they almost block a second punt, which they then return to like the 19 or 20-yard line. Because, you know, you can't block it up, but you're also not getting down there and doing your job. So pick your poison. You know, you, you can't be that way. You can't be that bad on special teams. And then FSC's field position on the night, they averaged about the 17-yard line. They played inside the 10 repeatedly, 90-yard fields. That's not going to work. Come on. That's horrible. So you're telling me that the special teams were sporadic. The special teams the, were bad. What was good about special teams? They made one nothing. field goal and missed a relatively cheapy. And punting game was not very good. I mean, the punting battle last night was clearly won by Virginia Tech, who put on a show. <laughs> that was a Graham Gano special from VT's punter. Right, so special teams wasn't good. Nope. Offensive line, not great. Horrendous. Yep. Uh, defense. It had good moments. They, they adjusted. They started slow, which has been a common theme in the preseason. I think it's concern going forward. But they adjusted, played fairly well. The last 49-yard touchdown, Asante Samuels there to make the play and, you know, got swung around 270 degrees on the guy's hips and just didn't bring him down, and then the guy's able to run free. It's kind of a bad luck play, 49-yard play. But other than that, they had played fairly well, and they came up with some big moments. The fourth and one at the end zone kept FSU in that game. That was kind of like the last gasp of air for FSU, and they got it. But, you know, in general, defense needs to be better, but I thought out of the three units, they were by far the best on evening. And played well with being in, put in a bad position. Yeah. But VT's offense is also not world beaters. No, Josh Jackson can do some true. things. And uh, big boy outside, I believe it's Hazleton, the Ball State transfer. He's a difficult matchup, and we saw how he kind of mm-hmm. posted up Levante Taylor for that touchdown. But in general, that offense doesn't have a lot of guys. That's not Clemson's offense run, yeah. walking in there with a bunch of playmakers running around. So. And then the wide receivers were kind of, I guess my point being, special teams, offensive line, wide receivers. Uh, the, more, the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? Uh, and that brings me to big picture. Uh, Willie Taggart has some work ahead of him and cut out for him. Uh, this is not a one-year fix. We kind of, you know, I know we're optimistic in the preseason, but but we knew Florida State was going to take some L's this year. I didn't think... I didn't think they were going to lose to Virginia Tech because, frankly, Virginia Tech isn't that great of a team. They have a lot of issues on defense. Like you say, Chris, they don't have stars on offense. This is the win you, I think, had to have to, to build some positive momentum or at least build what you had started. Uh, in this game, put a microscope on the issues that have been prevalent the last few years in this program and show just how much damn work needs to be done uh, to have a chance to get back to an elite level in the next couple of years. There's no quick fix for the O-line. That comes sure. with improving the people that you have at your disposal, which is solely recruiting. Yeah, That's a multi-year fix, in my opinion. Two years, at least. I mean, they um, they haven't been good in a while, and no. then you figure and they lost you know, just even bodies, even depth. Like Brock Rubel, gone this offseason. Uh, Josh Ball, gone this I mean, yeah. the, the lack of guys who can even line up at tackle. Or, well, we said in the preseason, after the first five, it falls off a cliff. And the first five wasn't very good, and it certainly falls off a cliff. Well, they didn't even get to the first five. They had the, yeah. they, they already had a they had backup. They the first four in. and a half, yeah. yeah. And Mike Arnold didn't look good at all. 
I don't. I'm not a panic button after one game in a regime kind of guy. My concern last evening was I didn't feel like FSU coached around some of their deficiencies very well. They did that somewhat on the defensive side of the ball after the first drive, specifically with the linebacker issue. But in general, I didn't think the offense did it at all. Mm-hmm. And to me, that that's a concern. Uh, yeah, that's something. Samford doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I mean, Samford. Um, which Syracuse will be a bit of a test. They're capable offensively of making an interesting game, and their defense sucks. So, you know, we'll kind of see how that one plays out. Louisville, I don't know what Louisville is after watching Bama. Bama basically tore them to shreds, but I think Bama's phenomenally good this year. But, you know, Pass is a guy that's capable of putting it down the field, so you'll see if the secondary plays better. Louisville's defense is kind of a to-be-determined, especially I think Greenard got injured against Bama. And yeah, Northern, Northern Illinois. Too. But then you're rolling yeah. to Miami, whose offense, you know, obviously inconsistent against LSU, so you don't know. So, like, I don't know when the litmus test for can this team be better comes, but there's issues on this team that I don't think get better this year. Well, so even if the team wins, even if they beat Sanford, even if they do go to Syracuse and win, even if they come back home, if they beat Northern Illinois, that's the next three yeah, weeks. Yeah, I forgot about that. Thank you. That's Sorry, the, next, yeah. the next three weeks, let's say – Best case scenario is you go three and zero. All the questions that you have after today have probably still on. linger, yeah. and then until you go up to Louisville, and even then, that's and then Miami. So, uh, one our web traffic is going to take a hit in the next. <laughs> you, you guys are going to not be happy. Dollars and cents. That's all I care about. But oh. uh, but you know the the issues that have come up after this game uh, to me. Yeah, you have the personnel issues that we spent the last 15, 20 minutes on. Uh, and then you have the inability to coach around those issues in that first game. That was very, very prevalent uh, and, and obvious to me. Willie Taggart's comments after the post game, he seemed like a person to me. And again, we haven't worked with Willie long enough. Like Jimbo, we had enough time to where you can kind of read it pretty quickly. He wasn't much of a poker face kind of guy. Yeah, if he was but pissed, you knew he was You pissed. knew right away. Uh, and if he was gloating about something, he yeah, let you yeah. know. Cock of the walk. Um, he, he'd loosen that belt and shake them hips. You see what we did Syracuse? We beat him by a field goal. <laughs> you got problems? Will, Willie seemed... Confused? Uh, uh, shell-shocked? I, I felt shell-shocked. Mm-hmm. I think he was downright surprised at how poorly they played, how yeah. poorly they performed. He reasserted himself multiple times that they did have a good preseason, that that wasn't smoke and mirrors. They legitimately had a good preseason, felt good about where they were at, which is consistent with what we heard on and off the record all preseason. Yeah. Francois had done well. The offense was doing a good job under him. Defense had slow starts, but adjusted, played fairly well. The guys on defense who you thought were going to be real good, Burns, for example, mm-hmm. had been really good. Secondary was capable enough. Stanford, obviously, was a little bit of a touch-and-go situation with the injury. At the end, yeah. But then you roll out on the field, and a vast majority of what you are trying to be good at as a football team, you feel miserably at. And I, had, there were guys that walked off that field. There were a lot of different emotions. You saw, you saw guys crying, guys that were shell shocked, guys that were pissed off and angry. Didn't really see guys that didn't care, which was a little bit refreshing because we had seen that in recent years. Mm-hmm. But that can creep up pretty quickly with adversity, and I'm very interested to see how this team handles adversity. And I'm not talking about coming out and putting a 60 spot on Sanford. I'm talking about becoming a better football team that the next time they're playing somebody who kind of punches them in the mouth repeatedly, mm-hmm. are they going to be able to go out there and actually punch it in the end zone? Because I And you said this last evening, and I agree. If FSU had gun in the end zone on the Murray play or the Akers drive Gavin or catches the, it. the Gavin catch – there's multiple instances would have broken through and would have been different. Would the juice have been there, the momentum, kind of get things going where you you become that boom or bust offense, but you're booming. You're not just busting. 
I'm interested to see if that comes about or if adversity eats them up and they kind of crawl back into the shell of mediocrity that they lived in last year. Yeah, and and what you have to, again, because the schedule plays out the way it is, one that's, I think, a good thing in the sense of you kind of figure some things out schematically. That's that's important um, as far as the optics, as far as the way you and I and the fan base, the prism that they look at the, the program through. Yeah, it's going to be TBD for, for about a month or so, unless you come out and lose, and then you get some pretty clear indications of where you're at. If you're losing one of the next three games, uh, then I think you're sounding alarms and say, oh, this this isn't working out very well. It's going to be a really long year if that happens. <laughs> uh, but I, I think with Willie and the way he evaluated this team – Correct me if I'm wrong, but but based on what he said last night, what he said all preseason, thinking they had a really good camp, liking where this team was at, and then for it to come out like this, 24-3, to I don't want to be prisoner of the moment guy, uh, but we have a one-game sample size, and that sample was poop. Uh, did Willie just completely misevaluate what was happening with, within it? Was it just guys coming out tight? I, I just I guess my point being, Chris, is I think this team is on such fragile footing with what they had last year, that everything Willie has worked to instill in them this offseason, that's why I thought this game was important. Yeah, it, it killed the momentum that yeah. the program had going into the game. And he kind of said, and he kinda said that, right? That's very true. Willie um, did say that last night, that he thought that I, that was something to consider. I don't know if it's the ultra-extreme of they're just miserably bad, that this is going to be the same thing week, out, week in, week out. Mm-hmm. I think there are correctable things they can do better, but there are some fatal flaws that aren't going to go away. Yeah. And they have to learn how to live with those and coach around those as much as humanly possible. Well, let's, before we go to the fatal flaws, because I, I, I do want to talk about, uh, before we move on or after we move on, I do want to talk about what can legitimately be fixed. Uh, what can't be, I'm trying to find Willie Taggart's quotes. You want to stall for me first, <laughs> for a second. I want to see if he, if I find his quote on, uh, whether this was a step back uh, for the program. Let's see. It was. Well, oh, he had, he, I found it. Never mind. Shut up. But he had the two. He had both one is it a step back, and then also the one about being disappointed. And the disappointment was early on. Okay, so here's the question. There's no, been no, some... no. I'm talking the late one where he was asked essentially. Oh, if by... he had frustration. Mm-hmm. And he goes, "Of course they're frustrated. I'm frustrated." Mm-hmm. In that one, I thought that was a moment of, uh, you know, being clear as glass. He was he was kind of incredulous, and the reporter Rousen had covered him at Tampa Bay, yeah. right? Uh, and, and the question was something amongst the lines of, uh, are you aware that the fans are frustrated? He was like, yeah, <laughs> of course I am. Like he, he, he's very, very smart. And we've seen this off season with public relations and understanding the optics of, of his program and of who he is. So he, he gets it. He understands that you know, they could have come out and lost yesterday and it wouldn't have been good, but it would have been okay in the grand scheme of things. If you saw some things that you liked, um, there wasn't a whole lot to like, uh, so the question here for him was, there's been so much positivity around the program since you took over. Does this put a damper on it a little? And he said, I think it does a little bit. Uh, again, whenever you lose, you don't like losing. You lose, of course, that's a little bit of a damper, but it's not the end of the world. We've got to get back to work and, again, get the momentum back on our side. And the only way we've got to do that is go back to work, uh, 24-hour rule. But but to say, yeah, like this does kind of put a damper on that goodwill, it does. It does. And... And again, because this team, I think he was dealing with a pretty fa- fragile group, I guess I have reservations on how they respond. Um, I'm not saying that they can't come out and, and respond well in the coming weeks. I think they very well could. 
but that was my reason for being a little skeptical about what would happen if there was a loss last week when we talked. I, I don't know how they respond. Yeah, it's going to be Brian Burns and those sorts of people that are going to have to step up and mm-hmm. you know, keep the ship from rocking and tipping over. And Burns talked about that after the game. Burns was brutally honest about his frustration, called the game downright embarrassing, and said what happened last year can't happen again. Well, There's guys that are very aware of what they were last year, and many of the guys who didn't give a damn about what they were last year are no longer here. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a good thing. You cut that out, you can hopefully move on. But there are still guys that experienced what happened last year. It's so easy to creep back into that mode of doing business that it's a scary proposition if you can't dismiss it and do away mm-hmm. with it. All right, so what we have going forward, we kind of set the table for what the next few weeks looks like schedule-wise. <coughs> and I think you kind of said before we started recording, you know, this is kind of a, a don't hold your breath type of deal because it's going to to be a little while until you get a good idea of what Florida State really is again, unless they lose, and then and then you everyone freak out. But <laughs> realistic in terms of, I think they're already freaking out. Yeah, I know, but yeah, there's reason to be alarmed. I think if another loss happens, then then I'm alarmed, and when Mister mild down the even keeled like yeah it's not panic tells you to panic then yeah everyone else has probably been panicking for a while but in terms of where the team can go uh, this season and that's again before we can talk about bringing in new recruits or overhauling uh your personnel what's a realistic what can what can they do well what can be fixed from monday night's game and then on the other coin of it chris what it's something that you're going to have to live with and, and build around and do a better job building around. Three things that can quickly be fixed are cut out the damn turnovers. Yeah. You can't give it away. Five. You don't have that kind of you know room for shooting yourself in the foot. Mm-hmm. Um, secondly, receivers have to play better in every form and fashion. They have to be better receivers. They have to be better blockers. They have to allow this offense to go at a better rate. And the third thing would probably be defensively create turnovers, be – be what that defense is designed to be, which isn't a shutdown defense, but more so a defense that capitalizes and makes big plays. Mm-hmm. They didn't do a whole lot of that last night. Now, what can't be fixed at O-line? There's no – you can't go to Walmart and buy a new O-lineman today mm-hmm. to replace the issues you have up front. you got to coach around that entirely, and you got to accept that sometimes they're going to blow things up. But, you know, pre-snap penalties have to be gone from that group. You can't afford to live behind the chains. We're already good at not pushing ahead of the chains. And then defensively, you got to do what they kind of did last night, which is coach around some of the issues, deficiencies they have at linebacker. Um, I think getting Brooks back will help that a lot, personally. Mm-hmm. Brooks is at least willing and capable. Yeah. Yeah, he'll stick his nose in there and kind of eliminate the... They're not ever going to be great at that position. That's why they're recruiting that position like they are. Yeah. But they can be a lot better than they were, especially yeah. early. I think you night. just need average at that, that money linebacker position. And would, forward. would be, who was by far the silver lining for me last night. I thought he played outstanding mm-hmm. before getting banged up. Um, yeah, hopefully he's available. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know about this week, shoulder injuries like that. But you know, when it matters in October and going into November, hopefully he's there for you. Uh the only other thing that I would say in terms of a silver lining that maybe we haven't touched on is I thought DeAndre Francois looked good. I think we maybe early, glimpsed over early on. He did, yeah, yeah correction. He pressed he, it. He pressed late. He did, he did but yeah. he looked. He looked. Yeah, correction for me. Uh, he looked good early on, real sharp early. Uh, he, I think he was eight of his first ten, and that was including the Gavin touchdown drop or drop what would have been a touchdown. I like that he got hit a couple times, bounced back up. I thought he got rid of the ball quicker than he had previously than the last time we saw him. 
Uh, the fact that we didn't see him run a lot, I think, is a little bit of a cause for Do you concern. think that was him, or do you think that was a play calling and a coaching mentality? Uh, I, I think it was more them than him. I think so, too. I, he didn't take off and run a few times naturally. That seemed like something that he, I don't know, wasn't comfortable doing, or maybe was told not to. But, yeah, the, you know, typically they have two or three options built in in every single play, or at least half the plays. They have a couple options. I don't think that. It's, it's tough to tell sometimes. I don't think that existed a ton. Yeah, I think yesterday. much of what they did last night was predicated pre-snap. Yeah, I do too. I don't think there was a whole lot of actual real read options for him. If there were, if there were, there was only a few. And he kind of, I think, alluded to that yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, post-game. Yeah, post-game. Um, but I thought, you know, you look at him, he's not the problem. Uh, I don't know if he's necessarily someone who's going to put this offense on his back. And that, it, it became obvious to me, Chris, that he was a quarterback who wasn't recruited to run what they really want to run. I, I think that's... That's clear. I mean, you can't make it work. Uh, but as far as yeah, fitting like a glove, uh, yeah, I don't know if he is a perfect fit. Um, but I think he's at least someone. Where if you're looking at that performance yesterday, you can kind of say, okay, there's there's some kind of modicum of, of encouragement there. We can work with it. How's that French fry? <laughs> <laughs> Soggy is a those are hearty French fries. That have been sitting out for about an hour. I I wouldn't recommend it. Um, and other, other than that, yeah, the offensive line is going to be what it is the rest of this year. I, I don't think you can fix it. I don't think you have a scrambling quarterback that can run around it. I think that is what it is. I want to see for Florida State do a little bit better job getting its playmakers the ball. Uh, Kalen LeBourne, I'm not sure what the deal with that is. That's something we have to ask on uh, on Wednesday. Trayshawn Harrison was very much kept under wraps. Yeah, he was. Yeah, I'm surprised they didn't get him the ball in space. Uh, I, I thought – yeah, going with the wild cam, I mean, guys, I hate to tell you, he didn't look really comfortable doing that. Um, yeah, I think you need to find Tamarian Terry a, a little bit more often than you did. Uh, so, so there's some things I think that to go back to the drawing board and figure out on offense. Uh, but there's a cap, I think, on what they can do this season with the offensive line. I think that was probably the biggest takeaway that I had on Monday. Is that fair? Yeah. yeah you can't <laughs> afford quarters like the third quarter offensively. It, it kills you. I mean, you're – your offense is completely based on running a lot of plays and hitting on a handful, mm. you know, five to ten, really, truly hitting on them. You only run 65 plays and nothing to negative happens on more than half of them. You're dead in the water. Yeah. Especially when you're committing penalties and getting sacks and tackles for loss. The, the offense won't work. It's predicated on success, success, success. <laughs> on what? <clears throat> Do it again. Sorry, Do it again. I'm, I'm a little tired, man. It's been a long day. Um, success, and then just boom. It, there, there's such a lack of – like they didn't play – what drove me nuts re-watching the game offensively is they did not play to win first down to create second down, to win second down to create third down. Mm-hmm. I, very rarely did it feel like they ever did that in the evening. Mm-hmm. And the offense won't work if they don't do that. Yeah. But again, if you can't run inside, if you can't consistently do that, yeah. man, I don't know. It makes it very easy on a defense, especially if they're well-coached, which Bud which Foster can coach. Yeah, that himself. wasn't the most talented defense that Florida State's going to face this year. Eight but new starters maybe, on that VT defense. Yeah, but they, uh, they look sharp. And again, they kind of dictated terms of that, of that game. They said, hey, you're not running inside. You're not... I mean, they took away almost everything. They tried to give up, you know, let DeAndre throw the ball downfield a little bit, and uh, that worked for Florida State early on. The pass rush kind of fell apart, or the pass protection fell apart, I should say, in the second half. Mm-hmm. DeAndre forced it. You could become one-dimensional. I mean, that's that's what happened. So, um, in summation, yeah, it's not a not a great first game for Florida State in the Willie Taggart era. There's a lot of questions. 
far more questions than there are answers right now. I don't know how many of those are legitimately answered or not this season. Uh, it's not great. So I, I know this has been kind of a somber tone podcast. Uh, we were just, uh, you know, working for the past 12 hours and then got like four hours of sleep. So we're running on empty a little bit, but we wanted to get you guys a quick instant reaction. Uh, we both rewatched the game at this point, so try to give you our thoughts on doing that. I think once was probably enough for the two of us, but yeah. It's as bad as you thought it was. That's why, that's why they pay us the big bucks to do this podcast. I'm good. I'm just salty and tired. All right, guys. Uh, hopefully, you enjoyed the podcast. Again, I know not great, uh, not a great topic uh, this this time, but is it is what it is. We try to shoot you straight. So, all right. This is Brendan Sinone sticking the landing as always for the Nose Twenty Four Seven Podcast. Chris, thanks for uh, joining me. We'll talk to you guys next time, and hopefully, we'll have a little more pep in our step.